0: Hi, this is Joey Brandon. Welcome to another episode of the Axiom Podcast. I'm here again with Cameron Earhart. Hey, great to be here. (laughs) Hey, Cameron. So today, uh, what are we talking about?
1: So we're talking about how to make business managers or or how to, um, you know, we have project managers. How do we uh, really help them become business managers? So let's start to frame the conversation. Um, Let's begin. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how typically do we promote these people? How do they become project managers? Yeah. So
0: we have, and we should probably uh, disclose, like we have a pretty uh, specific type of employee in mind, type of manager in mind. So these are like construction managers, project managers, department managers, people who've been given responsibility over a segment of the business, as opposed to uh, say, A customer service manager. So customer service manager is not necessarily responsible for revenue coming into the business and costs going out of the business. They're responsible for managing a group of people, but a project manager or a department manager, like a new construction department manager or a a construction manager, they're responsible for the revenue side and the cost side, labor materials, maybe some pieces of overhead specifically related to their department. And... And what we're looking for is them to basically be good business managers, but they've gotten to that position by being good project managers, yeah. by being a construction manager. And when, when they got to that position, imagine a scenario where the longtime department manager left, right? And we're going to go, who, who should we promote? And that we want to promote from within who should we promote? And they're like, let's promote Cameron because Cameron's really good at putting out fires. Cameron can handle people. He can solve problems on the fly. He's cool under pressure. He's got all the qualities we need to step into this position and not miss a beat. And and the the people have faith in him. They respect him. Uh, He's kind of walked in their shoes for a while. They don't have to get to know a new person. And that's fantastic that Cameron's the guy. You're absolutely right. So we promote Cameron to that position. And then six months later, uh, you know, you or I walk or I walk in because we hired you. <laughs> right. I walk in and I'm like, what is going on with Cameron's apartment? <laughs> we're, losing we're losing money. money. We're not hitting margins. Uh, he rev- was doing so much better. Before. I know we should put him <laughs> back out in the field. So, so that's the scenario we're talking about. And they get promoted because, and this is Devin invoked this. I uh, can't remember the, the, there's like a law, like a Murphy's law type thing out there. That's like, People get promoted to their level of incompetence where we promote people and promote people and promote people. And eventually they get to a point where, man, they're not doing such a good job, but we've promoted them past, you know, their ability. And what the, the argument we want to make in this podcast is for small businesses, you're doing the right thing you know it's, it's it's unreasonable for you to go out there and hire outside the organization every time right. or to go out and find somebody who's got that 20 years of experience and that proven track record one they're going to be very very expensive if you can find them and two it's going now you have to incorporate that person into your culture and they may they have their own ideas about what the culture should be as opposed to hiring internally it really gives you continuity culture but it also gives the people work with you a pathway for opportunity and advancement. So we like this. I think it's a more sustainable and it's a more financially feasible model to hire from within. But if you don't understand that you're putting people into positions and they don't have the skill sets that they need, you're going to be frustrated when they don't produce the results you expect.
1: Right. Yeah. So let's jump into that. So we have someone that we just promoted. They're uh, they're a project manager now, and they have like you said, they're really good at putting out fires. They're really good at talking with people, um, and, and maybe even leading the team to an extent. But we want to make them business managers. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some some tools right that are needed. So let's jump into those. What's the first one? Yeah.
0: So like the same way when you when you. Took that project manager and said, here's, here's how you manage a project, like here's a master schedule and here's dependencies and here's your, you know, Gantt chart, if you will, that's a tool that they learned how to use that was made them very effective in the field. Now you're bringing in some sense, bringing them into the office and you're saying, I want you to act like a miniature business owner over this segment of the business. Right. And so they have to be taught how to use the tools that a business owner would use to look at the whole business, but you know, focused on their particular area of it. So th- it definitely requires a basic level of financial literacy. And I would encourage business owners not to take for granted that people have this level of financial literacy. You've been, you've been looking at financial statements with your CPA, or your advisor for decades, and you just bring somebody out of the field and you put an income statement in front of them. And they look at you like, you don't know what they're talking about. Right. And then you call it and they go, I thought I was going to see a profit and loss. You're like, uh, it's the same thing. Right? They don't know, right? <laughs> right so yeah. you you can't take this stuff for granted. And when it comes to financial literacy, the things that we would really drive home that they need to understand is revenue. This, this is very basic. So, but stay right. with me. Revenue, direct costs, and gross profit slash margin. So when we talk about revenue, like that's the money coming in. But there's a di- depending on the business, there's a difference between the cash received and the revenue. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we're a home builder, mm-hmm. and somebody we're gonna somebody's gonna hire us to build an eight hundred thousand dollar home, and they give us one hundred fifty thousand dollars to get started. Well, that's a deposit. We haven't earned that money, right. right? It's a deposit. In essence, in accounting terms, it's a liability. It's actually a debt. They gave us one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we owe them service on one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of work. Right. So that's a debt on our books, and if you don't understand that. You could get a business manager or a project manager who now is overseeing this project and they're just looking at the cash coming in and they're like, my department made $150,000 <laughs> this month. Bonuses for everybody, right? <laughs> and and you spend the money before you you've earned it and now you have to find extra money to finish jobs. And this is very, very common in the construction industry where you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You've already spent the money from the customer who's already paid you. And you're taking money from somebody else's job to finish the last one. And that's a very slippery slope. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of other things we could get into as, as far as overbuild versus underbuild that we're not, they're not within the purview of this podcast, but they have to understand How is it that you make your money? Do we get money way in on the front end? And then we have to manage that all the way through to the job. And how am I going to know if I've used up too much Uh, or do we get paid at the end of the job? And I've got to be very, very careful about taking big jobs because that's going to require a ton of cash to get that job to the point where we can even bill it and be able to collect it. And you may, like I said, you may take these things for granted as the business owner, but the brand new person you put in there doesn't know any better. So if you don't explain to them, here's the way we define revenue, and here's how it differs or is the same as the cash we collect from customers. You have to explain that to them. And then in the labor and materials department, they need to understand What are my labor rates? You know, how is it a fixed fee contract where I'm only getting so much money from the customer and I've got to hit these labor budgets right on target or come under in order to make the amount of money we expect? Or is it a cost plus contract? And, you know, if it takes more time, it just takes more time and the customer pays more money the same with materials are my materials costs are they cost plus where uh, i've agreed to mark them up a certain percentage or have we done a fixed price bid and the more money i can save on materials is the more money we can make at the bottom on the bottom line and when you're sitting down with one of these managers and you're explaining these things if they're not asking questions they don't get it yeah right so that's the thing to understand is when you're trying to teach them these basic concepts of financial literacy, even the most basic ones of revenue, direct material cost, direct labor cost, it's going to take two or three or four sessions probably. Looking at the specific reports, particular to your business, you know which column, which numbers go in which columns, and what are the titles of these different categories. And I would expect them to have to go through that three, four, five, six times. Especially, I mean, the other thing to think is like. This person got promoted not because they're great at reading reports. They got promoted because they're great at making stuff happen out in the real world. Right. And now you're sitting them down at a desk in front of a piece of paper, and it may take some of them, and we've had business managers, we've had very effective project managers become business managers, and then realize 12 months into their gig they're dyslexic, and they didn't even know. Hmm. We've, had, we've had them be diagnosed with adult ADHD and didn't even know until they got into this role where they had to – to have a more constrained focus in a very you know, office-like environment for an extended period of time or had to read uh, scope of work yeah. and bill of materials. And man, it takes me forever to read this stuff. So don't take it for granted that, it comes as easily to them as it might to somebody who just come out of a, a former office job or right. administrative job, and this stuff seems a little bit easier.
1: Yeah, and this is all predicated on the assumption that the business owner is willing to be transparent with her financials to an extent with their uh, project managers. And so we've been in this situation before where the business owner has said, like, oh, I'm not that comfortable mm-hmm. sharing my financials, like t- talking about financials. And we're talking about job profitability right. in this instance, but. Um, So one, just the business owner has to be willing to be transparent with a level of uh, the uh, financial um, uh, of the company with the project manager. But then, two, the business owner has to be able to understand and articulate it to the project manager.
0: Yeah, they do. do. Or maybe not. Right? The alternative, there is an alternative. The alternative is uh, you don't worry about that, Cameron. You're going to come to me every day, and I'm going to tell you how you're doing on this job, right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the alternative is to bring Axiom in. <laughs> no, but, that, but I say it jokingly. Yeah. But in all honesty, if you're not willing to, to disclose the raw information of how we're doing financially on this job, you, you don't have any right to expect that person to own the financial performance of that job. They can't, they don't have the information. And so you think about it that way. And you're like, do you want to go through the job reports every morning? Do you want to go through the scheduling every morning? Do you want to do the math every morning and then sit down with every one of your job, your project managers and say, yep, you're doing good. Thumbs up. Or you're doing bad. You got to do better today, but they don't know where they got to do better. They don't know whether they're missing on hours or whether they're missing on materials or whether they spent deposit money they shouldn't have. So, yeah, it, uh, you're correct. It requires you to get comfortable with a level of transparency. Where I would encourage business owners is, yeah, but not that much transparency, right? right? If you look at this, um, they, they know at some point, they, most of them know how much you're getting paid by the customer. Yep. Because you're bragging about the eight hundred thousand dollar contract, or the three point two million dollar contract, or the hundred eighty thousand dollar contract that we got, right? Now we got a good one today, guys. So now they've got one piece of information. They've, we know they know how much you're making on the, or the customers paying you on the job, mm-hmm. and then we're asking you to say, hey, uh, tell them how much the, of their guy, how much their guys are getting paid to work on this job. Well, they already know the pay rates for those guys because now you've, at this point, you've probably handed over some hiring and firing responsibility. Yep. They have to place ads and they have to know what market rates are. So they know what everybody's making. And then it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go on the internet and find out what material costs are. <laughs> so they can put all this stuff together. What right. do you really, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't know if I can trust them with that information. Yeah. And the information's already out there. Yeah. Right. Or, what's what's actually happening is some of the information's out there and the number one piece of information that's almost always out there is sales. So if you fail to share with them the cost information, what you're leaving them with is a false impression of what's really left over after mm. the job and they think that we're extraordinarily profitable and so they don't see a problem with missing a scheduling item here or there. They don't see a problem with a little bit of a cost overrun or that piece of equipment was a little bit more expensive. You said we blew it on the equipment, but man, we made a million dollars on this job, right? They don't realize that the profit that was budgeted in that job might've been, uh, on the million bucks, maybe a 100,000. Yep. And we just had a $20,000 miss on equipment. 20% of our profitability just evaporated. Yeah. (laughs) So you're not, you're killing yourself by not sharing the information and you're fooling yourself into thinking, oh, well, you know, they don't need to know that.
1: Well, I know you could keep going down this road for a while. Maybe we just need to do a whole nother podcast episode <laughs> about that in <laughs> itself, because- I'm pretty stuff. passionate about that. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, so slippage, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, so
0: slippage is really, um, it comes to that scheduling portion of it. So the information that we're trying to share there in addition to the financial information is how much time have we missed? Because of, it could be all kinds of things. Could be, we missed it on, that we just were unrealistic on our scheduling. We have material delays. We have people out sick. COVID was a big reason for slippage with workforces out. But when we're talking about slippage, what we're talking about is when you own a business and you're doing like project work, for instance, you have an idea of how many projects you can get done over a year. Mm -hmm. And let's say that that's, uh, let's say that's 12 projects to make the math easy. And let's say that the overhead, so the office salaries and the materials and supplies and other things, for that same year are two hundred forty thousand dollars. That's kind of tied to that department. That means that twenty thousand dollars a month is going into overhead, mm-hmm. and we can only do twelve jobs a year. So if we have a job slip thirty days, we've got to we've got to eat that $20,000 worth of, of overhead that month, that that job was supposed to cover, because now that job has to cover two months, right? and there's only enough revenue to cover one. So slippage is this idea of when did we start, when did we plan to finish, and where are we now? Mm-hmm. And it's important in my mind that we ask our project managers and our business managers when it comes to slippage to keep the finish line in mind, but that's easy, that's what their focus is on. When are we gonna get this done? When are we gonna right. get this done? But the, if we don't keep the start line in mind, too, we may lull ourselves into a false sense of uh, comfort, I'll say, about, well, it only pushed back three more weeks, right? But three more weeks at the end of a 52-week project, okay, that's that might be fine. But if that 52-week project was supposed to finish in 20 weeks and we're like, another three weeks, you're like, wait a minute, like – the, the start line is way, way, way back there, and yep. you're telling us we're going to go three more weeks. And so you have to keep the rearview mirror in sight at the same time you're looking out the front windshield and understand – from a slippage standpoint, how much have we really given away on this job? Because it will drive the urgency and decision-making about what it takes to get it across the finish line.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So to recap so far, so they have to have a level of financial literacy, be able to understand job profitability and take ownership of that. Um, They have to take ownership of timelines, understand slippage, understand that falling behind timelines Mm -hmm. costs money. And then let's move into now, kind of the conversation around, and I want you to share uh, what you were sharing with me before the podcast about what Gary V said about this, of helping uh, our project managers or, or any employee for that standpoint, um, think like us, think like owners.
0: All right, so this is the the mantra of all but this is the wish of all business owners, and it's like, okay, I'm going to give them these tools. I'm going to, you know, financial literacy. We're going to go to school on that. I'm going to teach them how to read all the reports. We're going to understand scheduling and slippage. And I want them to act like an owner. And somebody, Gary Vaynerchuk, is kind of a, a media, social media, uh, business consultant, advisor guy. And somebody's asking him after one of these talks, "How do I get my employees to act like owners?" And he's like, "You're an idiot. They're <laughs> never going to act like owners. Right. It's unfair." to expect them to act like owners unless they're owners. Mm-hmm. Right. And I loved that because everybody wants their folks to, to act like owners, but what they're missing is that person doesn't have an ownership incentive. Right. If you're the business owner and a job performs really well, which means the business performs really well, then you perform really well. You have an asset that's worth more money. You probably have more cash flow coming out of that. You have the ability to invest that in the business or pay it on dividends. And for you to ask your employee to treat their job as if they were an owner, but they don't have any of those same incentives is asking them to go to a place mentally that they literally can't get to unless yeah. they're delusional, right? <laughs> really, I mean, I'm and, and not j- joking aside, unless they really truly believe they're an owner, even though they're not, which is the definition of delusion, <laughs> right. you're never going to get that cut level of buy-in. Yeah. So what are, what we should be trying to do is take notice of which incentives can we put in place. And a lot of these are financial, but can we put incentives in place that will change their thinking and change their, give them a legitimate non-delusional reason to treat this more like an owner would not exactly like, but more like an owner would. And that should be kind of the threshold of our expectation. It shouldn't be more than that.
1: Right. So what is our desired outcome? We want to improve our gross margins. We got to improve our gross margins. Okay. Well, let's come up with a performance compensation plan that ties the incentive to better gross margins. Correct. So we're getting them to start thinking like an owner because they tie it to, okay, if I can improve the margins on this job, I get paid more.
0: Correct. And this is probably the biggest area where we see that rule of unintended consequences come in because a simplistic, a too simplistic way to think of incentives is well, uh, owners are, owners are interested in sales, right? So I want them to think, I want them to constantly thinking about revenue coming in the door and you know, we need that. That's our highest priority. Well, it's very easy to put in place a performance comp plan that says, I'm going to pay you on a percentage of revenue, a percentage of revenue over a certain level. And in the meantime, the owners start to get very upset because profitability isn't really improving, mm-hmm. but revenues going up. And this person's compensation is going up and they're looking at this person and what they put in place to get them to act like an owner is actually they're doing the most non ownerly thing you could do, which is just worry about the money coming in the front door and not worry about the money right. that's that's staying. Right. And, and so, uh, that's a great example of owners are, should be way more interested in gross profit. Ultimately owners should be at the best performance comp plans would reward people for net profit, not gross profit. So what is it after all the overhead's taken up? Now that can be, you you really want to incentivize people or, or put incentives in place where people have control over the outcome that will drive that incentive. So if they don't have any control over your overhead spending, if they don't have any control over whether you hire a CFO for $100,000 a year or whether you spend $400,000 a year, it's probably not a good idea to incentivize them on net profit because they don't have any control over that. They'll get very discouraged. But certainly for the type of role we're talking about, and gross profit is a great benchmark measurement.
1: Yeah, that's great. And then let's, uh, as we begin to wrap up here, let's talk about just empowering them. I mean, empowering them, there's definitely, we're empowering them uh, financially, you know, with those incentives, but how else can we empower them to think like owners?
0: Well, you have to, everything we've talked about so far is like educate, teach them the tools, put in, in place a performance comp plan. And those are all kind of one and done. Now, you might have to sit down with them three or four times before they get it. You might have to tweak the comp plan a couple of times to get it exactly right. But there's definitely this element of like, you know, slap our hands together. Okay, like we did everything we're supposed to do. Now they just need to do what they're supposed to do. And it's going to fail every time. It's your job, if you're the business owner and these people are reporting to you, it's your job to lead them well. And that means giving them the responsibility and the authority and the capacity to make mistakes. They're Trusting only get, them. Yeah. You got to <laughs> trust them and but you got to trust them, but like be at their shoulder. Like if they look over and like, what should I do? I'm, I feel a little nervous about this. Be there to be yeah. able to help them, but also don't step in front of them. If they're making the decision, unless it's a grave one, let them, let them make a mistake or two. Yeah. What you might lose in the, in the performance on that job pay dividends down the road if they learn from the mistake. But then the other thing, it's not just the empowerment and stand at their shoulder. It's actually get face to face with them on a regular basis. They need this rhythm of you leading them so that they can develop their own rhythm of managing their responsibilities. They need to see in you a model of what it looks like to be in the office on a regular consistent basis. It's fine that they're in the field. And a lot of these are kind of field type positions or they have opportunities to get out there and do ride alongs with their folks and they should be doing that. But they also need to see a business owner who is poised and not harried and has margin in their day. And, and if you can teach them the habit of, Hey, uh, Monday's, and Friday mornings, those are your days in the office. That's when you attend to your, your reports. That's when you check your profitability. That's when you update your schedules. That's when you yep. check in with HR. They need to learn that from you. And the best way to do it is to is to do it with them for a while and then continue to do it with them. But you don't have to sit with them and, and go over reports. You can sit with them and say, tell me what's going on this week, what's happening next week. And you get into that regular rhythm. The worst thing that happens where well, we see this fall in face all the time is where business owners just abdicate responsibility for running that department, take a very hands-off approach. And these guys are out there in the field and jobs are going south and they're lost, but they don't know they're lost and they're afraid to ask for help. And it's your responsibility to make sure they have regular time on your calendar and you're not letting them down on that front.
1: Yeah, and I think the other side of that token, is you don't fully trust them, or maybe you just think nobody's going to do it as good as I am. So you just micromanage, micromanage yeah. until you're micromanaging people out of the business. Yeah,
0: and that's where you'll see turnover. You'll also see them just kind of throw up their hands and be like, "I'm not going to make any decisions because you're just going to undo it." Right. And then they get they come to us, the business comes to us, and they're frustrated and they're like, "Man, you know, like, I still feel like I'm running this department." I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you are. That's the problem. And they're letting you because they don't have a choice. So right. there is a balance between those two of being available and being uh, not just available, visible, but present and taking such a um a heavy handed approach or a micromanaged approach that you really never see these people grow into anything other than a glorified field rent field manager.
1: Right. And the, to close it up, the word that comes to mind, and I know it's a overused cliche word nowadays, but it's intentionality. We can't just throw somebody in that position and just expect that they're going to yeah. think like a business manager. Exactly.
0: I would say when you put some, when you bring somebody in from the field and you put them in that position, your expectation should be that they're not going to do very well mm. without a lot of education, a lot of training in the tools, and a lot of leadership from you. And that that really should hold whether they come out of the field or whether you hire them from a competitor who's been in the office running a department. Have a right expectation that they need good leadership to do the job well.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us for this Axiom podcast. We'll see you next week.